Well, good morning, Village Church. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors. I'm glad to be with you this morning on Mother's Day um, for all you moms. And as Jan Apley said, for all you women there are here with us this morning, we're grateful um, you're here. We're going through a series, if you're new with us, called um, Helpful Wisdom for Hard Days. We're in the books of First and Second Peter. You just saw that we're finishing up the book of First Peter this morning. Um, and we're going to be talking about wisdom and leadership. Uh, this morning, I just want to pause for a moment and say, um, though we're talking about wisdom and leadership this morning on Mother's Day, I just want to acknowledge so much wisdom comes from our moms, does it not? Uh, my mom um, gave us all kinds of little bits of wisdom. One of the ones she told me all the time was, I think I've mentioned this to you maybe once before, uh, that it will take 10 times longer to gain your reputation back than it will to take you to lose it. And apparently I was doing things um, <laughs> that were maybe causing me to maybe lose my reputation as a young man. And she would say, it's going to take you 10 times longer to gain that back if you ever lose it. And that was good wisdom. Uh, my wife passes on um, good nuggets of wisdom to our children all the time. Um, one of the ones that comes to mind um, this morning is, is where she says to them all the time, there's someone who is always watching, right? There is someone who is always watching. Like there's someone who sees everything. Jesus sees everything. It's a good bit of wisdom. And whatever wisdom our moms give us, um, the best wisdom is the wisdom that we get from God's word. Amen? And this... Okay, wow, I was like thinking, wow, I'm like way past you guys this morning already. Let me try that again. Like the best wisdom that we get is the wisdom we get from God's word. Amen? Amen. All right, here we go. And the wonderful thing about this church is it's filled with so many godly women who are getting godly wisdom from God's word. And so I'm grateful to be part of a church like that. All right, hard transition back to wisdom and leadership, okay? Wisdom and leadership is what we're talking about this morning. And it is a very important topic because... The public's view of leadership is very low. Have you noticed that? The public's view of leadership is very low. And by the way, that includes leadership, unfortunately, within the church. Lifeway did a study a few years back that found that only 37% of Americans say that their local pastor, like if they know a pastor of a church that's down the street or they know of a guy who pastors the church down the way, that their trust of him is high or very high, right? Only 37% of Americans can say that, that though they believe I have a high level of trust in that guy pastoring that church down the street from where I live. Around the same time, uh, another study was done by Christianity Today, and they did a study um, regarding trust and pastors and the church, but this is more trust in pastors. And Christianity Today took their findings and actually wrote an article entitled, The Eight People Americans Trust More Than Their Local Pastor. You ready for the list? Judges, which seems really odd because judges seem really political today, right? Not so much partial, but people trust judges apparently more than pastors. Daycare providers, that one might make sense. Police, that's a great group of folks. Pharmacist, hope you're trusting your pharmacist, right? Take two of these every two hours. You sure? Yeah, okay. Uh, medical doctors, right? Dr. Fauci, wait a minute. Sorry, he's not, he wasn't on the list. Okay, great, grade school teachers. Military officers, and we got some nurses in our church, right? Nurses, what about nurses? Yeah, right? Trust our nurses. So some great groups of people, but these are eight groups of people that apparently Americans trust more than they trust pastors. We need better wisdom. We need biblical wisdom for leadership 
And Peter gives it to us this morning, and it starts in verse 1, where he says, So I exhort the the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that's going to be revealed. Peter starts out by telling us wisdom says that leaders should lead like Jesus. Wisdom says that leaders should lead like Jesus, and this, (laughs) this should just make sense, shouldn't it? And, and Peter wants to lead like Jesus himself. Peter was one of the disciples that, that if you look, like his, look at his life, you know, through the gospel accounts, through most of them, he's probably the guy that's leading the least like Jesus in many ways. And yet, after the resurrection and Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit and they're all commissioned by Jesus, Peter becomes the clear leader of the church. Matter of fact, as you look at the leadership in the church in the book of Acts, Peter is mentioned exponentially more times than any of the other apostles. Peter is clearly the leader, and he wants to lead like Jesus, which means leading humbly and authoritatively and expectantly. When leaders lead like Jesus, it's because they're leading with humility, authority, and expectancy. A fellow elder, Peter describes himself first as a fellow elder. This is humility. Peter could have just come and said, I'm an apostle, so listen to my authority, But Peter leads with humility. I am a fellow elder. Peter's acknowledging that there are other elders among them and saying, like, I'm with you guys, a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now he says, I am an authority. I am an apostle. Peter is the one who has witnessed all of the sufferings of Jesus from the beginning of his ministry all the way through to the end in his death. Peter's also witnessed his resurrection. Peter is one of the 12 apostles. He does have authority. But he leads with humility, he acknowledges his authority, but attaches it to the sufferings of Christ at that. And then Peter says, a partaker of the glory that's going to be revealed, an expectancy that Peter's saying, I have faith, I trust Jesus at his word, that what he said is true is going to happen, that Jesus is going to return like he said he was, and we're all going to be with him in glory. Peter was a leader that led with humility, authority, and expectancy, And I believe these are the kinds of leaders that people want to follow. These are the kinds of leaders that I want to follow. I want to follow people that are humble and that are expectant for Jesus to work. And that authority comes in the middle. Does that make sense? The authority that a leader has, the biblical authority a leader has, should come in between the tension of humility and expectancy. Leaders who are leading with humility, expecting Jesus to do great things, And that's where the authority lies. The moral or the spiritual authority lies in the middle tension. The authority lies in the tension of the humility and the expectancy. And Peter leads this way because this is the way that Jesus led. Jesus led with with humility and with an authority, the greatest authority, and with expectancy. And this is the way that all leaders should lead. Jesus humbled himself. Jesus led humbly. Jesus led expectantly, always having faith and trusting the Father to do his will in all perfectly in all things. And no wonder why people flocked to him. Jesus had the kind of authority that no one else has ever had. So you might say, okay, this is helpful wisdom for hard days, but this makes sense. Leaders should lead like Jesus. That sounds pretty simple. It also sounds kind of broad. It sounds like character stuff, but like what are leaders going to do? What are the specific things that they're going to do? Well, Peter tells us, he says in verses 2 to 4, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, not as God would have you, not for shame, as God would have you rather, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being 
an example to the flock. See, leaders lead like Jesus by shepherding and overseeing. By shepherding and overseeing. This word shepherding means literally feeding or tending or keeping. Shepherds feed the sheep and they tend to the sheep and they keep the sheep. And Peter knows this. Peter knows this is the way that leaders lead in the church because this is what Jesus told him three times in John 21. And if you know the Bible, you know the story. After the resurrection, disciples are at the lake. Jesus shows up, pulls Peter aside and tells him three times, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. And in that experience, Peter learned something apparently because he tells elders that their job, leaders, that their job is to shepherd, to feed, to nourish the sheep, to tend to them, to keep them. And shepherding in Peter's day was a very humble vocation. It was a very humbling vocation. It was dirty work. It was hard work. It was work that no other people, many other people didn't want to do. It was a pejorative term in some ways, in some settings. It, it wasn't good work in many people's eyes, but it was necessary work. Jesus called himself the good shepherd for a reason. Leaders are the shepherd and then they oversee. The word oversee literally means inspecting or to look over. Think of a shepherd kind of peering between the wool of a sheep and looking at its hooves and its teeth and kind of making sure it's doing okay. Shepherds inspect the sheep. They look after them. They look over them. And the shepherding is what gives the shepherds the authority to inspect the sheep. I don't know if you have, a, if you have an animal at home. We've, we've got a dog. His name's Cash. We call him Cash Money for long uh, instead of for short. And so Cash is a, a golden retriever. And, um, and when I come to Cash, I'm like, hey, Cash, lay down. And Cash lays down. And sometimes he'll like roll over, right? And be like, what do you want? You know? And, and I can inspect him. I can look at his teeth. I can look in between his toes and all that sort of thing because like I tend to him. I tend to him, and so I, I, can, I can look at what's going on in his body. I can make sure he's okay, because we tend to cash in our home. And, and this is the sort of idea with the shepherd, right, and the sheep, that the shepherds tend to the sheep, and it gives them the authority to— so I'm not, just to be clear, people look at me weird. I'm not asking you, like, to roll over when, I, when I'm like—but but you get the point, right? Okay, some of you were looking at me weird, like, is this an analogy? No, it's just—yes, but not for you, okay? It's just for the dog, all right? Okay, good. So let's pick up where we were. All right. Peter says there's three specific ways that shepherds, overseers are to do this, right? The shepherds shepherd the sheep, and it gives them the authority, in a sense, to oversee them, to inspect them, to correct them, to direct, help direct them in the right way to go, right? Peter says there's three specific ways, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, right? Not because you have to, but because you want to. The leaders in this church should lead not because they have to, but because that's what they want to do. There's a godly, humble desire to do so. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, right? Not for what they can get out of it, but what they can give in the midst of it. Leaders in this church should lead not by, because of what they get from leading, but from what they can give as leaders, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Not because they want power, but because they want to be an empowering example, right? Not because they want power, but because they want to be an empowering example to the flock. And again, this is the way that Jesus led. 
Jesus led because he wanted to lead, not because he had to. Jesus led because he wanted to lead. As Jesus led, Jesus gave his life even as a ransom for many. Jesus came to lead as a giver, not as a taker. Jesus came to give as he led, not to get. And Jesus came to lead, not, not just to get power. Jesus already had all the power. He has infinite power. He did not come to get power. He came to be an empowering example through this Holy Spirit of God to all of us. Leaders lead like Jesus. This is the way that Jesus led. I want to make it clear that leaders should lead like Jesus because it's right. Because it's what the Bible says to do and it's the right thing to do. Leaders should lead humbly and with authority and with expectancy because this is what is right. But but there's another reason. Just like a few weeks ago when Peter said there's actually a reward attached to that, Peter does it again this morning. He says, you lead this way because it's right. That's the highest reason. This is the most important reason leaders lead this way because it's the right and godly thing to do. But there's another reason, and Peter doesn't shy away from it. He says, there's actually a reward as well for leading this way. Verse four says, and when the chief shepherd appears, we all know who that is, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The weight of leadership is sometimes a heavy weight of responsibility. But there's also a weighty reward. It's an unfading crown of glory. There's a weighty reward that goes along with that weight of leadership. And and Peter says, this is an incentive. And let me just tell you, I don't think there's really anything wrong with an incentive. Like doing it because it's right is the ultimate reason, but but doing it because it's a reward is ultimately a good reason as well. I mean, you know as well, we're, we're here on Mother's Day and we'd say the same thing on Father's Day. You parents, you incentivize your kids, do you not? Do you not? You do, right? You incentivize your kids, and in some good and godly ways. And that's a, that's a great thing to do. We do this in school. Teachers incentivize their students. And there's an important idea about that. Listen, when you go to work, you that are in a sales role, are you incentivized by a lower commission structure or a higher one? Thank you, Andrew. Higher one, right? Let's just all be honest, right? There is, there is a motivating factor, Like, this is fine. It's a motivating factor. Incentives are good. And listen to me, even Jesus did this. Like, Peter was there when when Jesus promised his disciples, and I'll quote Jesus, that they would receive a, quote, hundredfold reward, right, both in this life and in the life to come, that those who laid aside everything, those who sacrificed it all and put all their chips in on Jesus, Jesus says, I'm promising you that there's going to be a reward for that, that you're not just doing it because it's right. You're going to receive a reward in this life and in the life to come. So this is what Peter does to leaders. He tells them there's a reward that goes along with this. Leaders should lead like Jesus But there is another part of the equation, right? There's another side of the coin. There's another perspective, as it were. And Peter shares it with us in verse 5, the beginning of verse 5, where he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And here we learn that wisdom says that followers should follow like Jesus. It's not just that leaders should lead like Jesus, but that followers should follow like Jesus And when I say follower, I mean following with a genuine and sort of a general, genuine openness to following the leadership that God has placed 
in a local church like Peter's addressing here. And I want to, I want to pause and say that this word follower is not a pejorative term. I'm, it's, not a, it's not a degrading term. It's not a secondary sort of role in the life of the church. One commentator um, this week as I was perusing around a couple made an interesting observation that, that the word follow is close to the word fellow in the dictionary, in the English dictionary. And there is some correlation here that followership is sort of part and parcel with fellowship, that it's someone that comes alongside or someone that follows closely behind, but someone follows closely behind and coming alongside, moving in the same direction. And so the direction that we're all moving in together, whether we're leading, mostly leading, or mostly following, there's a followership in that, and there's a leadership in that. There's a ship, S-H-I-P. There's a togetherness in it. And I believe this is what Peter's saying, is that leaders should, should humbly lead like Jesus, and followers should humbly follow like Jesus. And sometimes in the life of the church, there are certain people that are mostly following and others that are mostly leading. But we're all moving in the same direction. We're all moving to a place where we want to glorify God together by, by growing and multiplying disciples who are delighting in Jesus and declaring the good news about Jesus and displaying the life of Jesus. Because all of us together believe that every village, every person, every place needs Jesus. We're all moving in this direction. But Peter finds it necessary to address the younger as he says to this. He says, right, you who are younger be subject to the elders. And this word younger means new, right? Those who are newer in age, like you're newer in the amount of years that you have, you're new to this earth, right? But it can also extend in some ways to people that are newer in the faith, Peter knows that the younger people need to be reminded of this because when we're young, we kind of have a tendency to think that we know it all. Isn't that right? In our younger years, we kind of tend to look at leadership and, and think we could do it better than they could do it. And I just got to say, like, in, even in some ways, as I was a young leader, even within the life of the church, I, I had a propensity to do that. I'd look at older leaders or even older leaders in my church and say, like, I wouldn't do it that way. I would do it this way. That's not the way you do this. This is the way you do this. And so Peter says, yeah, no, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. Older, younger people need to be reminded, but it's not letting the older people off the hook. <laughs> it's just saying younger people have a propensity this way, but we sort of all have a propensity to go this way, don't we? To think that we know best. Again, Jesus is our ultimate example here because Jesus was a follower before he was a leader. Isn't that kind of interesting? That Jesus was a follower before he was a leader. He followed the Father to the T as he led his disciples. John records it this way, the best friend of Jesus. Do, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Jesus' words. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. There's some humility there because he does have some authority, doesn't he? But the Father who dwells within me does the work. Jesus was always saying things like, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. I don't say anything unless the Father tells me to say it. Jesus was a follower before he was a leader. There's nothing wrong with following if we're following Jesus. There's nothing wrong with following if we're following Jesus and if we're following not perfect, but godly leaders. 
In the life of Jesus, we see Gethsemane, right, as the ultimate example of this, where, where Jesus wanted it to go another way. It wasn't like Jesus was telling the Father, I think there's a better way, and I think I know better than you. But Jesus was asking the Father, if there was another way, <laughs> could there be another way? No, there was no other way. So Jesus sweats great drops of blood. He knows what he's going into. He wants to go into it. But he submitted himself to his Father, and I think we can learn something from Jesus here. Look, when it comes to leading and when it comes to following, Peter's talking a lot about humility. Have you noticed that? And he continues to do it in verse, the end of verse 5 where he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I think here we learn a third lesson that wisdom says Christians should live humbly toward one another, whether they are leading or following. Christians should live humbly toward one another, whether they are leading or following. And you might be asking the question, why all this talk about humility other than like, I get it. Jesus was humble and like our leaders are supposed to be humble and I'm a Christian and I'm supposed to be humble whether I lead or whether I follow. But like, why all this emphasis on humility? And again, Peter gives like an incentive here. He's reminding them like there's a, there's a warning and there's a reward for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Like if you want to be a leader, but you lead pridefully, God is going to actively oppose you, is what Peter's saying. <laughs> and you don't want that. You don't want God's passive opposition, much less his active opposition, right? You don't want opposition from God. And Peter's saying, if you lead in a prideful way as a leader, you're going to get opposition from God. He's going to thwart you. And if you're a follower, and you want influence, and you're in that followership, and not like you're telling your leaders, hey, I know better than you, or I would do it this way, not that way, but you want to come alongside, and you want to be helpful, and you want to help everyone move in the same direction, and you want influence, and you want to help, and you want to come alongside, and yeah, you might want to grow in the ranks, so to speak, and you might want to grow in leadership in the midst of a local church, and you have a prideful disposition, even if it's just on the inside and not the outside, what Peter's saying is God is going to actively oppose you. He's going to thwart that. It's not going to happen. If you're in our scripture reading um, plan as a church, we're reading through the Bible in a year. Um, if you're a guest with us, we just kind of tend to do that every year. And right now, we're reading through the life of Saul, King Saul. <laughs> and I got to tell you, like, it's, it's a great example of what we're talking about here, that, that God actually removes his, his blessing, his spirit, in a sense, from, Paul, from Saul um, and his leadership. And it's just this story of Saul's just grasping for it. And God's like, yeah, no, it's over. Because of Paul's pride. There was one particular instance but where it came out the most, but you can see Saul's pride throughout the story. It's a really good illustration for us in this moment. God actively opposes the proud. He thwarts their efforts. But the opposite is also true. He gives grace to the humble. And in verse 6, Peter says a little bit more about that. So he says, humble yourselves, therefore. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. He says, humble yourselves. He's not saying, wait for the other person to humble themselves. He's saying, no, humble yourself. You, you take the initiative. 
whether you're a leader or you're a follower, you take the initiative. If you know in your heart and mind that there's a situation that you need to humble yourself in, go and humble yourself so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Village Church, we have such a great opportunity here because I feel like our church is filled with so many good, godly, humble people, leaders and those who are mostly leading and those who are mostly following. And if leaders lead humbly, Peter says, he's going to raise you up. If followers follow humbly, Peter says, he's going to raise you up. If we all lead and follow humbly together, he's going to raise up our church. Could you imagine a church in this place, in this time, in this culture, where people are humbly leading and others are humbly following in the midst of a culture that sees leadership as pretty much inept in every way and people who blindly follow. What an amazing example that would be, that he would raise us all up at the right time. The only way that will ever happen is if we all humble ourselves before God. This is more about our humility between us and God than it is about our humility between us and one another. Why he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. I believe what Peter's saying here is the degree to which we humble ourselves to God will be the degree to which we humble ourselves to one another. If you and I are in a relationship of deep humility when it comes to our relationship with God, we will be in a relationship of humility when it comes to our relationship with one another. But if you and I are like, we're fighting God, we're constantly feeling like we know better, you know, we think that he's thwarting us and we're trying to find a different way, like we're, we're, we're prideful enough to think that our way is better than his way. Like if we're walking in pride with God, then we're going to actually walk in pride with one another. That's the way it's going to happen. The degree to which we walk in humility and humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, then we will walk in humility with one another. Humble yourselves. I had the thought this morning, what is one way that we could all humble ourselves toward one another? Like I'm thinking, as a lead pastor, what is one way that I can humble myself to our fellow pastors, to the partners in our church? What is one way that, that you might humble yourself to your community group leader or to the person that's over the kids ministry class that you work in or whatever setting it is, imagine if just today we all walked away just with one thought in our mind. You know, in this church, I could humble myself a little bit, at least in this way. If you feel like I'm, I'm doing okay there, maybe there's a, maybe a little bit, you know, we could humble ourselves in one, one way or another to someone in some way. And I just say one way because I think we could, all, we could all probably do that. Now look, I know there are some of you who are probably thinking something like this, and I know it's hard to admit, but I'm sure this thought's in someone's mind. Back here is this thought of, okay, what if I humble myself in front of this person, but they don't humble themselves in front of me? Like, what if I actually do what you're saying this morning? And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about it, and I have a way to humble myself in front of this person, but I'm thinking in the back of my mind, what if they don't humble themselves back? <laughs> What if they don't return the favor? Like, what if they don't return the humility? Then what? Well, Peter knows this is an obvious question. It's an obvious question to many of you, probably. So Peter answers it. He says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I think the idea there is just leave that to Jesus. 
Like, you think Jesus is going to reward you for humbling yourself in front of someone, or do you think he's going to, like, cause you to suffer, right? Like, he wants you to humble yourself and just leave that anxiety about them not returning the favor. Leave it to Jesus. Many of you may have had an experience in a church before or in a relationship where you humbled yourself in front of someone, and they didn't humble themselves in return. I, I, I told actually a, a partner in our church this week, Dean and I met with a couple in our church, and we were talking about this idea, and we, we gave them an exercise to, to work on, and I told them a story about, about how I first used this exercise to actually go and humble myself before a fellow leader. And when I did, the response in return was basically like, well, I'm, I'm glad you've seen all the things that you've done wrong, you know? And there was no acknowledgement on the other end. There was no reception of their part at all, not one. I know what that feels like, right? I drove away from that meeting feeling like, well, the Bible says as much as it depends upon you, be at peace. But that is a reality. That could happen. It's happened to me. Maybe it's happened to you. Jesus knows this. And so he says, cast all your anxieties on me. Don't worry about that. Cast all your anxieties on me. I care for you. I'll lead you through that. Listen, maybe this feels a little weighty and, and maybe it feels really important. And let me just tell you, it is. This is really, really important stuff. Why is that? Well, Peter tells us in verse eight, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful about this thing. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. What the devil is doing, what strategy number one for Satan is in the life of any local church, is to find one person looking for someone, not someone's, looking for someone to devour. All we need in a local church is one leader who gets really prideful and it will destroy the church. All we need in one church is one follower right, to get really prideful and backbiting and talking, pitting leaders and followers against each other, and then it destroys the life of the church. Satan is going around like a lion. He's looking for someone, one person even, to devour, one person to just kind of start festering up that root of bitterness by which many become defiled. It's his top strategy, and it makes sense because he's the most prideful being in the universe, right? This is what Isaiah tells us. We see this prophecy and this word, this picture about that moment when Satan tries to exalt himself above God. I will ascend above the heights, above the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Just one fallen angel is all it took. In a similar way, just one person in the life of a church it could be all it takes to just destroy the life of a church. This is strategy one. This is position A for the enemy, for Satan, for our adversary, because this was his strategy from the beginning. This was his MO all along, just the one. I think this is especially important in hard times and in hard days when the church finds itself in times of persecution because, well, we get all kinds of weird thoughts when the pressure pressures in from the outside. Sometimes it finds its way to the inside. We begin to doubt Jesus. We begin to doubt our leaders. We can backbite with one another, and it can just destroy the life of the church. It is important. And you're like, well, wow, that feels kind of ominous. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day to you too, Matt, you know? It's just as where we are in the Bible, right? What do we do about that? Satan's going around like a lion looking some, for someone to devour. Like, what do we do about that? Well, Peter tells us what to do. He says, resist him. Firm in your faith. 
knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your, brother, by your brotherhood throughout the world. Resist him. Stand, don't let him do it. Don't let yourself be the one person. I can't let myself be the one person. Don't do it. Resist him and stand firm in your faith. You can do that. How would you do that? I think that you would do it the way Jesus did it. As the perfect leader and the perfect follower, Jesus did it by looking to God's word. Remember when Jesus was tempted by Satan? Every single time he responded with scripture. Actually, I think in this section, Peter gives us kind of a little, a little formula in a sense. What, what do we do? I think there's four things. He's already said one. I think we go to Jesus for comfort, right? Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. If you're worried about how it's going to turn out, go to Jesus. Lay your anxieties at his feet. Trust him to take care of you. Go to Jesus for comfort. Go to God's word for clarity. Open up God's word and get clarity. What is that relationship supposed to look like? What am I supposed to do in the midst of this situation? I'd say thirdly, this is not here, but I'm just saying, I think this is helpful wisdom. Go to them for clarity. Like, go to them and ask them, what did you mean by that? Or how did, what, what did that, why did you do this? Or was there something about that? Or something like that. Just go to them for clarity. And I'd say lastly, don't go to other people. Because that doesn't create clarity. It just creates confusion and conflict. Like, don't, don't do that. If there's something not to do, don't talk to everyone else about it. Go to that other person about it. Open up God's words about it and lay your, your, your cares about any potential conflict at the feet of Jesus because it just said he cares for you. He cares for us. I want to tell you that um, this is a pretty universal thing in the church. And not because I say so, but because Peter says so. And I think Peter kind of knows what he's talking about. This is something that every church in every culture in every country has to deal with. Peter says, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. If leaders are supposed to lead like Jesus and followers are supposed to follow like Jesus, and they do, and I think Village Church, we do this fairly well, and we have a great opportunity in front of us. There's an incredible promise that goes along with this. Look at verses 10 to 11 where he says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ well, himself, Jesus himself will do this. Jesus will do this. The great shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, he will do this. He will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God will do this. God will restore his church to the glory that he intended for it. So that by God's grace, more than 37% of people in our part of the country would say, oh yeah, I know a pastor down the street that I know I can trust. And maybe even more than the judge, <laughs> you know. God will confirm his church as his people and as his instrument in the world. Like the people around us will see that, oh yeah, the church is God's chosen instrument to bless this community. God will strengthen his church for all that he has for her, and even in the midst of a time of a persecution like this church in First Peter was going through, and he will establish his church that she is immovable. She's going nowhere. We just sang a song this morning about that, that he's established his church, and it's going nowhere because he is going nowhere. And in the end, he wants to do all this to get the glory that he alone deserves. To him be the dominion forever and ever Amen. 
Peter ends his letter by reinforcing the validity of these things when he says, by Sylvanius, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does my Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all who are in Christ Jesus. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And I believe that's, that's everything that Peter has shared in his first letter. That is all, stand firm in all of those things. But as we're talking this morning about leading and following, I think we could say stand firm in this thing, that, that leaders lead like Jesus and followers follow like Jesus. And mostly what that's about is humility. Um, I just want to pause for a moment to say, um, as one of the pastors, I want to say this to our other pastors. I think as a lead pastor, I, maybe I'm the one to say this about the other pastors. I just, want to, I just want to say thank you to our other pastors for leading this church in a humble way. Um, as I sit around the table uh, as a lead pastor, um, you know, they call me the first among equals, which is sort of an odd term to describe how, how like at the end of the day that they would defer to me, but at the end of the day, I will defer to them. And I have no greater seat at the table in some sense than they do. And, and the rest of the pastors in this church, they lead very humbly. They lead humbly and they lead with a sense of expectancy. They want to see Jesus move in the life of this church. And I think that's why the pastors in this church by in large part have this kind of moral or spiritual authority the partners in this church, as we've surveyed them, tend to really trust the pastors in this church. And I think it's because they lead humbly and, um, and expectantly. So I'm just I'm taking myself out of that. I'm just saying that for the sake of the other pastors. I just want to say thank you to the pastors in our church for leading that way. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Efren. Um, and, and I want to pause on Mother's Day especially and say thank you to the pastor's wives for being alongside um, their husbands and for leading this church in many ways as well. Um, Dina has found herself recently doing more work um, between Sundays with some pastor's wives, um, some in our church and some in other churches and some even in other parts of the country. Because one of the things that we have found is that sometimes a pastor's wife is the loneliest person in the life of a church. And the role of a pastor's wife is um, a little bit different than you might think sometimes. It's really joyful, but sometimes it's really hard. And so um, on Mother's Day, um, for our pastor's wives, I was joking with Pastor Josh about this this morning. You know, he, he left his kids at home with his wife and came to run our kids' ministry. You know, it's just little things like that, which aren't that little, but there's a lot larger things than that as well. So I just want to say thank you to our pastor's wives. Um, can we just, can we say that this morning as well? Can we just say thank you? I think we should say thank you. All right. And hey, just as, as one of the pastors, I, I want to say thank you to all of our village partners. Um, our village partners are godly, humble people who are expectant of what, Je in what Jesus is doing. And the partners in our church have an authority of their own. Um, if you're a village partner and you might feel like, yeah, but I don't, I don't have like a vote at the elder table or something like that. And I would say, you may not have a vote, but you have a very strong voice in the life of this church. Your pastors and the deacons in this church respect you immensely. And you have a voice and a vote of your own in a sense that, that we have a lot of regard for you. And we're humbled by the kind of partners that are part of this church. And so we just want to say thank you to you as village partners. Can you receive that this morning from your pastors? Thank you. 
Listen, if you're not yet a Christian this morning and you're like, well, this is a lot of like rah-rah talk between you guys. Like, you guys really love each other. Like, yeah, you're the greatest. No, you're the greatest. No, you're the greatest. <laughs> just want to say, yeah, as humbly as I can say. As humbly as I can say it, this is a pretty great church. I'd go to church somewhere else if it wasn't, you know. I'd lead with other guys if, if, if it wasn't. I, don't, I wouldn't do that. If you're not yet a Christian, there's a bigger picture, and I just want to, in, in, in maybe one or two minutes, um, paint it for you. We're all moving in the same direction together because we believe certain things about what God says, and it's revealed in the Bible. God told us that Jesus is a perfect leader. That's what the Bible tells us, that Jesus is the perfect leader, and he was in the beginning there of creation, and that he created a perfect world for us, and that we were perfect followers. In that moment, our first parents, Adam and Eve, followed him perfectly until they didn't, until they decided that they wanted to follow someone else. And I want to tell you right now, if you're an idea Christian, we all follow someone. You are following someone else. You're following a politician. You're following a social leader. You're following, God forbid, a, you know, a, a junior college professor. You know, you're following, you're following someone. You're getting your information from someone. You're following someone. You might be following yourself. And all we're saying is humbly that Jesus is the best person to follow but, but, but we followed someone else, and we, we followed, our first parents followed Satan in the garden. They, they were tempted, and they gave in, and they, they thought there was a better way than the way Jesus had for them. But what we believe about um, God, because this is what the Bible reveals about him, is that, that God wasn't content to leave us in that place where we're following someone else, and, and we've sinned against God, and our relationship with him is broken, and everything's broken now, and, and we're like going off course, and we're, we're going off the path that God has for us and his best intention for us, and it's, it's bringing like less than ideal things on our lives, and Jesus wasn't content to leave us there, but he was intent to come to us. God sent his son to us. Jesus came to us. God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ, and he lived a perfectly sinless life before God. If you're not yet a Christian, you need to know that. We believe that Jesus lived a life that we could never live. He always followed God the Father perfectly. We never could. He did. And that not only did he follow God perfectly, he lived a sinless life on our behalf. He died on the cross and in our place and for our sins. Our decision to follow Satan instead of God, to live, follow ourselves instead of God, has caused a lot of havoc between our relationship with God and the world. Have you noticed? It's our fault, not God's fault. God had to punish that in some way, shape, or form. God punished all of our sin, put all the weight of all of our sin on Jesus on the cross so we don't have to bear it. Jesus lived a perfect life on our behalf. He died a sinner's death that we should have died, and he rose to give us a life we should never have otherwise. We're forgiven now for all of our sins, all the times we don't follow God, and now we're free now to follow him. We don't do it perfectly, but we have freedom now to follow God again and his way for us and to be reconciled to relationship with him. And so if you're not yet a Christian, that's essentially what the Christian life is about. We're following Jesus. We believe he's the best person to follow for many reasons, and we'd love to talk with more about that, and we'd love to invite you to Jesus. And this is the good news for our morning, that Jesus is the perfect leader, and he is the perfect follower. And we can lead and we can follow like Jesus when we place our faith, our hope, when we place our trust in Jesus. And I hope that's good news for you this morning. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you know this, but I'm gonna say it again, and I'm gonna pray it again that one of the things that we love most about you is that you are never asking us to do anything that you are unable or unwilling to do yourself. And so when we want to pause this morning, we want to say thank you for being willing to follow, that you humbly followed the will of your Father perfectly 
And it was and it is an empowering example to us, and we thank you. And we also want to thank you for being willing to lead, to being a humble leader and willingly leading, not under compulsion, but willingly. And forgiving yourself for the sake of us who would later come and follow you, even to the point of death, death on a cross. And so, Jesus, we thank you for being the perfect leader and the perfect follower. And we follow you. We ask you to lead us now. And we ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.